It's the Perry and Shauna podcast on the real life journey with you, reminding you that you are Abba's beloved child and that Jesus has called you into his massive mission to heal the world. I got a question for you. How good are you at discerning authenticity? Have you ever, like, you've been in a conversation with someone and you can just, oh man, you can just tell they are not being sincere with you at all. I think I've gotten better with that over time. I was way too gullible as, yeah. as a kid. I, I could be easily fooled. Oh, really? Yeah. I, wow. I was just too trusting. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm the opposite. I don't know if it's the LA upbringing or what, but I have a tendency to be like... You have to prove yourself to me. Like, I don't know that I right out the gate feel trusting. I feel more the opposite. Like, mm-hmm. I'm looking for you to somehow try to schmooze me. Mm-hmm. No, I have a pretty good uh, ability to sense when someone isn't not necessarily being truthful, hmm. but what they're telling me isn't really what they feel. Yeah, the sincerity. I think that mm-hmm. that's exactly it. Listen to this. So Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, Romans 12, 9 and 10 says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. I mean, Paul is not messing around with this challenge at all. It's like he's saying, Christian, this is how you are to live. Be sincere is the first thing. And I tell you what, I think that most people can read you like a book when you're faking it. (laughs) If you feel like, you know, I'm supposed to love people because God said I'm supposed to love people. So therefore I'm going to be loving, but you don't feel it in your heart. I think people just know that. Right. They do. Back in, um, we lived in Arizona for nine and a half years. And when we did, I sold candles for Gold Canyon Candle Company. And one of our trainings, they said to us, (laughs) don't ever talk about a fragrance that you don't like. Right. When you're selling candles, don't stand up in front of, you know, because we do parties at people's homes or whatever and and explain the products and stuff. And they're like, if there is a fragrance that you don't like, don't even bring that candle with you. Don't even discuss it. Because if you try to sell somebody a candle that you don't like how it smells, they're going to... They're just going to read you like a book and then they're not going to trust you and anything right. else that you have to say. Mm-hmm. Be sincere with people. Don't love because you're supposed to love, but ask God, if, if you really struggle with loving someone, ask God to show you to be able to see them the way that he sees them, to be able to see that they're made in God's image and that he truly does love them. And then Paul goes on from love must be sincere to saying, hate what is evil. Now, when he says hate what is evil, he's not talking about hating people. He's talking about hating their evil acts. Be able to discern, love people, sincerely love people, hate the stuff they do that doesn't honor God. There's a a distinguishment there between the two. And I think we wrestle with that sometimes. We'll put the behaviors of people on the people themselves. We, we go so far as to hate people. Right. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. But he says, be sincere, hate what is evil. And then he also says, cling to what is good. But he challenges us to be devoted to one another in love and to honor one another above ourselves. We don't live in an honor culture. So what do you think he means by that when he says honor one another? Valuing somebody higher than yourself certainly would be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, instead of demeaning the person in front of you, instead of somehow thinking that they're less than or that they're smaller than you are, 
to see them the way that God sees them and to value them above yourself. Just like you said, Scott, I think that's, I think that's it, that we would treat other people with the same respect that Jesus would treat them with. So how are you doing? <laughs> how are you doing at being sincere? How are you doing at hating what is evil, but loving the person committing the evil? Man, that's a hard one. And how are you doing at honoring other people? Remember, <laughs> this helps me. There's a couple of ways that if you're struggling to love other people, here's just a couple of things that have helped me in the past and maybe it'll help you today. Number one, remember that you're not always easy to love and God loves you perfectly anyway. That might help you to love other people genuinely and sincerely. And secondly, ask God to show you how he sees the person in front of you. If he could just give you a glimpse of what he's looking at and how he loves them, then maybe you can love them, not by trying to muster it up, but with a genuine love that God has for them. He can give you his love for them. So when Jesus started his ministry on earth, he he went to the most unexpected and invited them to be followers of him. Have you guys ever thought about what that would have been like? Like you're in the middle of your workday, you're doing the thing you know, and Jesus shows up and he's like, Ben, come on, let's go. Let's do this thing. Drop what you're doing. You're <laughs> See, boss, I'm out of here. See ya. <laughs> yeah. I mean, can you imagine what that would have been like? Or have you ever have, thought about it? I would have many questions for him. Yeah, right? <laughs> I got to imagine Peter's wife had many questions for him. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? I'm up and leaving you, babe. Love you. Peace. Um, God provided and God is yeah. good. But the disciples did leave everything that they knew to follow Jesus. They just up and went to follow God and they followed him wherever he went. And they learned from the way that he was, not just when he was teaching and speaking, but just the way that he did life. He spoke with this authority and, and then he performed these miracles. He made blind people see and lame people walk and he turned water into wine. And there were so many people who saw these miracles. They knew there was something special about him, but obviously his disciples you know, the people who did life with him, what stood out to them was not only was he special in the way that he performed miracles and the way that he taught, but just like how he prioritized spending time with God. Luke 5, 16 says, he often withdrew to lonely places to pray. And so they saw this practice of pulling away and getting alone with the Father. But what they didn't know, they knew that he prioritized prayer, right? They saw him and they experienced that. But what they didn't know is what was happening when he went away to pray. So they asked him, how, how do you do it? How do you, how yeah. do you pray? Like, we know yeah. you're spending time with the Father, but... Yeah. Can you show us how that works? <laughs> yeah, we want to see behind the curtain a little bit. When you're alone with the Father, what does that look like? And then he did. He answered the question. He said... You know, they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I think Jesus wasn't, you know, maybe you've memorized that prayer. Did you memorize that prayer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. And yep. Ben, you've memorized Absolutely. that prayer? I'm guessing, Scott, you've probably sung it. I have sung it more than a few times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've sung it a few times myself in, in weddings primarily. Yeah, I because my oldest daughter asked me for to, for me to sing it at her wedding. Oh, that's so cool. 
That's so special. Yeah, but I think that when the original conversation happened and they were like, Lord, teach us to pray, and Jesus gave them this, I don't know if he was so much saying, recite these words from memory, so much as he was saying, this is how to address God. These are the things to talk to him about. You know what I mean? Like a like a template. Mm-hmm. This is what to ask God for. He was teaching them ultimately how to be in relationship with the Father. And all of Jesus' life, not just the way that he prayed, but all of his life is an example for us to show us how to be in relationship with the Father. And I'm sure the disciples reached out to him for this because the only examples they had probably was from the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And their prayers were much different in tone than Jesus' prayers. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. I mean, the intimacy, he starts with our father, right? Mm-hmm. So there's not, it's not, you know, God almighty, yes. you know, it's so intimate. And yeah, he invites us to, to pray into recognizing that God is holy. Hallowed be your name. Recognize that God is holy. You know, forgive me for the things that I've done against your heart. God, I don't, I don't want to sin against you. And Lord, where other people have hurt me, help me to forgive them. Like it's a template for us to pray. So how often are you pulling away and spending time with God? What does your rhythm look like of having open and honest conversations with God? Intimate conversations with God, not ritual prayers, but intimate prayers. Do you want to grow in your prayer life? You and I can follow in Jesus' footsteps, regularly meet with the Father And we can start today. Shawnee, you know, both of my parents were involved in full-time ministry. And of course, being involved in full-time ministry, they had a heart for their children to follow their footsteps into full-time ministry as well. So I remember them telling us Bible stories. And of course, one of the things I remember growing up is a lot of different missionary stories as mm. well. We had we would have missionaries come into our house sometimes to to spend the night with they were having to visit our church. So I've got a lot of memories about that kind of thing. But one of the things I remember again growing up listening to Moody Radio in Chicago as as a kid was the Stories of Great Christians program. And one of the features they had in there was about a man by the name of William Borden. Now in the Chicago area, some people confused him with the Borden Milk Company because mm. his family was quite wealthy, but they didn't get their fortune from that. It was actually from a, a Colorado silver mining companies where his family got its wealth. So anyway, uh, William Borden came to faith in Christ as a boy under the preaching of R.A. Torrey, who oh. is one of the past presidents of Moody Bible Institute. Oh, I, that's awesome. Yeah, I didn't so, know that little piece of history. Yeah, yes, a little. We have the Tory Gray Auditorium right. in, in Chicago. So, and this goes back to the 1890s. So, this okay. is obviously a long time ago when the earth was still cooling. I'm, getting, <laughs> I'm getting a history lesson this morning. This is lesson. good. This is cool. Yeah, this is good. But one of the things that, that was not too common, particularly for families who had means, to send young men on what they would call a grand tour, basically take a trip around the world or at least overseas to different countries just to give them a feel for what the world was like outside of what they were used to, even in the United States. I mean, it wasn't just getting used to a different neighborhood. This was, we want you to see what the world Mm -hmm. is like and what the world has to offer. Again, he was from a family of means. Well, as he took this particular tour, he came into contact with a missionary 
by the name of Walter Erdman. And this is where he began to feel the growing burden to be a missionary himself. Mm. Again, he became a Christian as a boy. And it wasn't that his family would, would have been against this, but they probably expected him to just follow in, you know, be a man of business sure. as he grew up. So uh, actually, he then he went to Yale University and he said in his personal journal, he wrote this. And for somebody who is just a freshman, uh, you would not necessarily expect this kind of spiritual maturity. But he said, say no to self, say yes to Jesus every time. Mm, wow, that's good. Yeah, that, that's a good motto for all of us to live by. He, while he was at Yale, he started a morning prayer group that soon spread across campus. And during his first year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study wow. and prayer. Wouldn't you love that's, to see that happen again at that's Yale? That's awesome, yeah. <laughs> Actually, at any campus across sure. the school, yeah, 150 freshmen coming to a Bible study and prayer. And by the time he was a senior, that number had grown to 1,300 oh students. Goodness. So upon graduating, as you can expect, he got these wonderful offers for high-paying business positions. He still wanted to pursue ministry goals. So we served for a time as a director at Moody Bible Institute. Did he really? <laughs> yeah. He, well, he, I'm learning so much this morning. Yes. You know, the him turning down the the high paying jobs right. to head into ministry certainly follows suit with what he had written in his Bible, right? Right. Say no to self, say yes, yes to, to Jesus, Jesus every, every time. time. Right, yeah. He was the age of twenty two when he was working at Moody. But his real passion was to reach the Uyghur Muslims with the gospel in northwest China. So to pursue this, he went to Cairo to study Arabic. Now, while he was there, he wound up contracting cerebral meningitis and then died a few days later at the mm. age of 25. Oh, my goodness. So in his will, he left his fortune, which was over $1 million. And I don't even want to do the math as to how what much that, that would, would be, be in today's dollars. Yeah. It'd be obviously many millions of dollars. But he left it to Christian causes, specifically to those who desire to be missionaries and teachers who were sound in the faith. Mm. Now, it's said that he had three things written in three words in his Bible. No reserve, and a parenthesis, turning his back on the riches he could have had. No retreat, staying true to his convictions regarding ministry, and no regrets. Mm. Reportedly written shortly before his death. So he never got to fulfill his... Thing is, you know, God gave him all these wonderful opportunities, gave him this heart for mission. He was a man of means. You'd say, think of what he could have done. But because of his death, many, many more men and women decided to pick up the torch mm. and go to the mission field because of the life and influence of William Borden. That's, it's so powerful. I think that we underestimate the impact that we can have. And I, you may not have been born into tons of wealth. You know, you, but that doesn't mean that, that God doesn't have a plan for your life, that not only your life could be hugely significant, but that you could inspire other people to be a part, a, a part of the work of God as well. Right. And as he gave that fortune to other ministries, that obviously enabled them to do more work than they would have been able to do otherwise. Yeah. So, you know, God had a different plan and we know that there was a ripple effect by that death that allowed his life to touch others for the gospel. So I guess the lesson for us is that we may not live to see the fruits of our labor, but we know that only eternity will tell just how many lives would be impacted in the mm -hmm. same way that lives were impacted through William Borden's legacy. 
this world that we live in, man, it seems like everybody is trying to label us. Everybody's trying to kind of figure out who we are and put us in a box, mm. you know? And I think that's why it's so important that we start the week and we start every day just being reminded of who we are in Christ. I do feel like it's as if everyone on the planet is trying to, you know, label us in some way. Like maybe it's arrogant or needy or confident or successful or underachiever and on and on it goes. Mm. And I think, I honestly think it's an attempt to try to figure out who we are ourselves. Because if I know who you are, then maybe I know a little bit more about, you know, the how I fit into the scheme of things. And maybe it'll help me to figure out who I am and where I belong. And so we go about our days putting these labels on one another. Yeah, there's a lot of labels going on people around these days. And right. some of it's, sometimes it's just to try to gain an advantage over them, label them in such a way to make yourself look more important than they are. Yeah, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Max Lucado has written a book. It's actually a children's book about this very thing, and it's called You Are Special. Have you ever heard of this book? I have not. Okay. Let me tell you a little bit about the premise of the book. So the the characters in the book are Wemmicks, and they're this village of wooden people. And they all carry stars and dots, their stickers, with them wherever they go. And whenever somebody does something really cool or impressive, the Wemmicks will put a star on them. But if they make a mistake or they fail in some way, then they put a dot on them. And so they kind of go through their days being labeled based on their performance with either stars or dots, you know, based on how they look or how they speak or just in general how they perform. Some people actually see other Wemmicks with stars on them and, and they'll just give them a star and go, wow, she must be really cool or he must be awesome. Uh. And so they just give them stars because they already have stars and they give them dots because they already have dots. But this is how the Wemmicks live their lives. Well, there's this one little... Wemmick, his name is Punchinello, and he tries so hard to earn stars. He really wants to be a good Wemmick, a starred Wemmick. But every single time he tries to do something cool so that people will give him a star, somehow it goes south and he messes up and and then people end up putting dots on him. And he just, he's so exhausted by mm. trying so hard and failing again and again. Well, he meets this one Wemmick this one day that's like totally different from every other Wemmick on the planet. Her name is Lucia and she doesn't have stickers. She doesn't Nothing. have any dots. She doesn't have any dots. And he's like, that's so cool. But she also doesn't have any stars. So that's a little confusing, right? So, mm -hmm. But he's very intrigued by, by Lucia. And so one day he gets up the courage to just ask her why she doesn't have any stickers at all. She doesn't have any stars. She doesn't have any dots. And he's like, how does that happen? And he's actually so impressed with the fact that she doesn't have stickers that he tries to put a star on her, but mm -hmm. it falls off. So he asks, how is this even possible? And she just simply tells him, well, every morning I go to the woodcarver's workshop and I spend time with him and he kind of brushes me up and, and he talks with me and he tells me the truth and the stickers just don't stick on me. And she says, you can go see Eli the woodcarver too. You're welcome there at the, at the woodshop. Mm -hmm. So one day Punchinella gets the courage to go and see Eli and Eli tells him, you know, calls him by name. When he mm -hmm. shows up and he tells him that what other people think doesn't actually matter. And he tells Punchinello how special he is and he shines, shines him up a little bit. And as Punchinello is leaving the woodcarver's workshop, he starts to believe Eli. He starts to believe what he says about him. And as he starts to believe it, one of the dots falls off and falls to the ground. Mm. Here's what I propose. I mean, <laughs> okay. this is what Max Lucado was saying in his book. We're Wemmicks. 
Like we do this. Everyone we encounter today is trying to figure out who they are and, and where they fall in the grand scheme of things. And they will, or maybe they already have, tried to label you in one way or another. So how do we live free from the labels that the world is trying to put on us? How do we find out who we really are? I think it's in spending time with our maker, with the truth. You know, read the truth, listen for the truth, spend time with God, believe the truth, sing the truth, write the truth down in your journal. Behave as if the truth is true, even when everybody around you is telling you something different, even when inside of yourself you're struggling to believe that it actually is true, that you're loved and that you're special. Mm. I think the thing that I love most about Lucia is, well, yeah, like Puccinello, I absolutely love that the stars and the dots don't stick on her. That's right. just a given, right? But I also love that she's the person who points Puccinello to Eli. I want to be like Lucia. I want to not only spend time with my creator, I want to know who I am in him. And I want to, I want to be someone who's not, you know, trying to figure out her identity based on what other people are saying about who she is. But I want to be the reason that other people meet Jesus. And you can be too. You know, serving the church is something not a lot of people do. And I don't really understand why. You know, we're called to serve others, but so few think about serving. There are many ways that you can serve in your church from, you know, helping with coffee on Sunday morning, maybe singing on stage, being a part of praise team. Maybe Le- maybe not everybody should be a part of that one. <laughs> that, that's fair. That, that is fair. You can make a joyful noise from where you sit, but maybe God's calling you to be up on the platform. Uh, maybe. Okay. That's okay. right. You know, you'll never see me singing on stage, I'll tell you that. <laughs> maybe leading a Bible study would be a great example, or maybe even serving on your church's consistory if you feel called to it. Being a servant is something that we should enjoy. I love that you are referring to being on consistory as a, a position of serving. Because I think that can be, you know, you can look at it as, oh, that's a position of authority. That's a position of honor. Right. Mm-hmm. B- but there's a great responsibility to that position. Oh, there is. And, and, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, being on consistory, you know, there is that power aspect of it. I don't look at it like that, though. I look at, you know, being on consistory, the way I'm serving is I'm, supporting our pastor mm-hmm. while also holding him accountable. And that's, that's what that's what a consistory is. It's to support the main pastor and his role and his mission, but then also hold the church and the main pastor accountable. Mm-hmm. And about three years ago, I was called to serve my church as a deacon. You know, I still remember getting the news of my nomination through the mail. You know, I looked at the envelope and I pulled it out of the mailbox, looking at it, seeing it from church and thinking, well, that can't be good. Oh, no. <laughs> maybe, maybe, my, maybe my check bounce. Oh, no. <laughs> I hope not. You've been asked That's to funny. appear before the pastor at <laughs> 2 o'clock p.m. on the dot. Oh, my. Yeah. You know, I figured it, it had to do with something else. Maybe there's a problem with my check that I had hmm. wrote Sunday before. And I remember going inside our house and opening up like I do at the dinner table, standing in front of it there and, and reading what the letter had to say and you know, I remember sitting down on the couch after that and just having this really great sense of honor come over me. I was stunned that my fellow churchgoers thought I would be qualified for such a role. Mm. You know, a few weeks later, I had a meeting with my pastor to talk about my nomination. 
we read scripture from first Timothy chapter three, and you know, I was slightly intimidated because of the qualifications to be a deacon. What I didn't realize at that very moment is that I was a child of God. I'm already qualified and the Lord was calling me to serve. And after some prayers and some time and some thought, I accepted the nomination and after drawing lots was elected to a three-year term. Mm. What was the part of it that was scary for you that was intimidating? Well, if, if you read First Timothy chapter 3, it's got a lot of things that it says that a deacon or as the Bible more or less says an overseer mm-hmm. is to be. Mm-hmm. And in reading through some of that, it's like, man, I'm not sure if I am that. Mm. You know, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's more stuff for for the elder side. Sure. That's a lot more intimidating than than the deacon or the overseer qualifications. I I put that in air quotes. Yeah, I see that happening. This is radio. We have to explain. He That's is definitely right. doing the air quotes. Doing the air quotes <laughs> here. Yeah. And you know, again, we went through the lot process, and that really is a, a true confirmation. Mm-hmm. by the Lord, that when you draw that lot saying you've been elected to a three-year term, that he truly is calling you to serve. And if you've been feeling called to serve, don't ignore God's calling because mm-hmm. you think you're unqualified. Because of the resurrection, you are qualified. Hear this from Matthew 20, verse 28. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Have you ever felt like your desires have gotten you into trouble? Like, man, if I just didn't want these things, if I just didn't have these desires, I'd be okay. Maybe you've even asked God to take away your desires. Well, Charles Stanley, in his book, Winning the War Within, Facing Trials, Temptations, and Inner Struggles, says, all of our basic desires are ultimately from the Lord. What? Yeah, listen to this. He gave us longings and needs in order to demonstrate our dependence on him and to enhance our relationships with one another. Only when distorted do such needs become negative in our lives. Satan sets out to twist our yearning for love into lust, our longing for respect into pride, and our hope for success into greed. God gives us good gifts. Satan distorts those good gifts and our desire for them and leads us to sinning in regards to our desires. And so we think in our head, desire, bad. Not true. God gave us desires. But (laughs) the way that the enemy twists it can turn it into a bad thing. I mean, money, for example. We can be greedy with money or we can be generous with money. Influence. We can want Mm -hmm. all the applause for ourselves or we can want to use our influence that other people might know who Jesus is. Food. We can use food as a nourishment for our bodies or we can overeat, you know, comfort food and all those things. Oh, yes. Uh, That's probably one of the um, more acceptable sins of the church, shall I say. I have a problem with gluttony, you guys. I'm just being honest with you. Not you. I do. I love food. We have National Overeating Day coming up soon. What? Is it a thing for reals? Thanksgiving. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) National Come on overeating day. That's good. I did not I see that one say, coming. See, I, your story reminds me of a couple of prominent evangelists. I won't give their names. They go back in a few years, but there was one who had cornered a one evangelist and kind of confronted him about smoking cigars all the time. He said, well, "I'll give up my cigars when you quit overeating." Ooh. Yowch. 
I know we laugh about it, but it's true. Food was meant to be this beautiful thing to nourish our bodies. And we're either eating more than we should or eating things that we shouldn't be eating or, you know, we're starving ourselves to try to look like some supermodel or something. I don't know. It's food is this good, beautiful thing that the enemy has distorted Mm. and turned into this difficult thing. Sex. Sex is a gift from God. I don't think we talk about this often enough that sex was intended for marriage between one man and one woman forever and ever and ever. God created sex and it's a good gift for us. But Satan distorts what God has given us, this beautiful thing, and turns it into this thing that that we wrestle with feeling shame around or guilt around or dirt around when we we step into sinful acts that are mm. that are sexual acts but charles stanley said god's not against sex any more than he's against food or love or success but he opposes the gratification of any desire outside the kind the confines that he has lovingly designated Man, if there's something that you need to be delivered from, something that promises to meet your immediate needs right now instead of trusting God to meet that need, I just wonder what would happen today if you and I started to talk to God about it in prayer and we just got really honest about our desires. Maybe there's a desire that you have, you know, that that leads to a temptation, uh, and you just feel like you want to give in to the immediate satisfaction rather than waiting on God, rather than trusting God to meet that need in your life, whether it's about sex or it's about food or money or influence or, I don't know, any mm. number of things. You can be honest with God about your desires. They're not opposite of Him. Your desires ultimately come from Him. He's planted desires in our heart to pull us into intimate relationship with him, love relationship with him. So what would it look like today to just be ruthfully honest with the Lord about your desires, the desires that lead you away from him, and to say, God, use these desires to lead me into relationship with you. Psalm 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Thank you, God, for making us who we are, that we're, we're children of yours. Help us to see our desires rightly. Thanks for letting Barry and Shauna walk the real life journey with you. The content from the Barry and Shauna podcast comes from their live show, Barry and Shauna Mornings on 89.3 Moody Radio, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Reach out to us by texting 800-968-8930 and please subscribe.